would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus chapter 12. This is, and we find ourselves, we will find ourselves as well several times in the predicament of thinking, you know, okay, what's this all about? And it, it takes some reflection and thought. And it takes, of course, the, the remembrance of the truth that Christ uh, delivers us from, from all of this. But uh, here we go with Leviticus chapter 12. I'm just going to read through it. And then I have, I don't know, three or four slides at the end of it that I've just, there's some thoughts there uh, that we'll draw from, uh, from what we've learned here in Leviticus 12. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, now this, okay, this is a community-wide thing. Your Bible, B'nai Yitzrael, it's sons of Israel. Your, your Bible may have translated to the children of Israel. Literally, it's sons of Israel, but that means it's something for the entire community to understand, to hear. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and gives birth to a male, she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her menstrual flow, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And for 33 days, she shall remain in the blood of purity. She shall not touch anything holy, she, nor may she enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification have been completed. If she gives birth to a female, she shall be unclean for two weeks, like her menstruation period. And for 66 days, she shall remain in the blood of purity. When the days of her purification have been completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a sheep in its first year as a burnt offering and a young dove or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting uh, to the priest. And he shall offer it up before Yahweh and effect atonement for her and thus she will be purified from the source of her blood. This is the law of a woman who gives birth to a male or to a female. And if she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two young doves, one as a burnt offering and one as a sin offering, and the priest shall effect atonement for her, and she shall become clean. So that's an interesting eight verses. The first thing that I would notice, and then I'm going to read, I have several things that I've put on some slides here um, that we'll just, I'm just going to read them to you. You can look at them. Um, the first thing though to note is that the Lord again declares that there are only two genders, male and female. That said, let's, uh, let's, let's look at some points that I've put up here. The first case, of course, addresses the birth of a male child. In this case, the mother is ritually unclean for seven days. And the impurity in the scripture in the text is compared to the impurity associated with menstruation. The mother is not considered unclean because of sin, because giving birth was not 
considered a sin in Israel. We go back to Genesis 1 and verse 28, we'll see that human fertility actualizes the blessing of God. He told the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply. The reference to, quote, as the time of her menstruation, close quote, may refer to the establishment of the time of impurity, that is seven days, just as it is in the time of menstruation. Now that law comes later and we'll see that later. Or it may be a means of indicating the reason for the impurity, like the impurity associated with the flow of the menstrual blood. Verse seven suggests the latter reason. The purification ritual is designed to cleanse her, quote, from her flow of blood. It is the blood associated with birth that places the new mother in a state of impurity. More on that as we go. Following those seven days, there's an additional 33 days of purification after the birth of a male child. During this time, the woman is not to touch any holy thing or to come into the sanctuary, and then she brings her sacrifices and her offerings to the sanctuary, which we saw in verses six through eight. Now, the key to understanding of why the act of giving birth generates impurity for the new mother is found in the priestly concern regarding the defining and guarding the boundary that separates the realm of life from the realm of death. Now, remember, this is not a personal thing against the woman. It is a ritual thing. And it has to do with cleanliness before Yahweh. In the act of giving birth, bodily, the mother enters into an ambiguous state between life and death. She brings a new life into the world, but at the same time, she loses some of her own life through the loss of blood. So the woman manifests the loss of life in the act of bringing forth new life. Life that meets possible impending death. It is the woman's location in this ambiguous state that generates her uncleanness. She holds together in her own body the realm of life and the realm of death. Verse three provides instructions for the circumcision of the male child to take place on the eighth day after his birth. Seven days in the flesh and then on the eighth day, the first day of a new week, a new beginning, a new life. This coincides with the end of the mother's seven days of her impurity. The, the child is not unclean. Circumcision was the ritual by which a male uh, child would become part of the covenant community. It was a ritual enactment of the covenant and the promise of fertility. Very important for the Israelite male child. There's no indication that the blood of circumcision makes the male baby unclean. Whereas the blood associated with birth makes the mother unclean and excludes her from the sacred uh, community and the, uh, or the worship, the blood associated with circumcision functions to include the male in the community. But the woman, the, the issue of blood from a woman in birth makes her unclean and thus excludes her. So this ritual text is a juxtaposition uh, regarding the image of the woman giving birth, an image that connects her to the blessing of God given in creation with the image of the circumcised male, an image that connects him to the blessing of God 
given in the covenant relationship. It is precisely in this juxtaposition that one can see the ambiguous nature of blood in the law, that is, it can function both to exclude and to include. All right. The time of impurity for the new mother is twice as long if she gives birth to a daughter. 14 days as opposed to seven for the initial period with the birth of a son. And 66 days as opposed to 33 for the period of purification. This suggests that the flow of blood associated with birth is only part of the reason for the mother's impurity and supports the contention that the unclean state is related to the ambiguous situation that is generated by the act of giving birth. Now, let's keep this in mind. We are a fallen race. The whole thing of, of the tabernacle and then later to the temple is to keep a reminder always in the congregation of Israel that they are sinners and that they, they can approach the true and living God, but a price has to be paid. Now, when a mother gives birth, she's giving birth to a sinner. David said so in his psalm when he said, in sin, my mother conceived me. So the birth of a female created another woman capable of giving birth. The key here is that the female child has the potential to share in the experience of giving birth. This text thus places great significance on the ability of women to give birth. And I should have added another one here, but it also places great emphasis on the sin nature of man. And, and what would separate the difference between a female, a, a, a little girl and a little boy is the fact that the little girl carries within herself uh, the ability to bring forth another, another sinner, another child. This would be another way to remind Israel of the fallen state of man and the great need for salvation. After the appropriate time of the purification passes, the mother then must enact the purification ritual, and that's in verses six through eight. So she has to bring a burnt offering and a purification offering, and the purification offering will be presented first. In this instance, the burnt offering expresses the mother's gratitude for the birth of the child. The expiation in verse eight refers to the ritual process that affects the movement of the woman from being in a state of impurity into a state of purity. Again, it's ritualistic. Again, it is a message from God on the fallen state of man, even among his elect, Israel. And a constant reminder with every birth that this child is entering into a, a fallen state of humanity and thus the mother would be so moved to give a sin offering as well as a burnt offering. All right, so is that it? 
I added a couple of slides, I think. Okay, here this is it. All right. When a son was born, a mother's ceremonial uncleanness lasted an additional 33 days, a total of 40 days of ceremonial impurity after giving birth to a male child. Several reasons. One was to give the Israelite mother, probably, an ancient equivalent to the modern maternity leave. She needed to regain her strength. The child needed to begin to nurse and the health of both mother and child needed seclusion so that that strength could be reestablished in the mother and established in the child. Here, ceremonial uncleanness relieved her of many social obligations that physically she would have had a difficult time meeting. Mothers welcomed these days of rest, seclusion, and bonding with the newborn, obviously. The longer period of ceremonial uncleanness for the birth of a daughter should not be understood as a penalty. Instead, it's linked to the idea stated in the previous verses that the time of impurity is for the symbolic responsibility of bringing other sinners into the world. When giving birth to a female, a mother brings a sinner into the world who has the capacity to still bring other sinners into the world. And so the difference in the time period between the male and the female is thus seen and is also thus a message again of the truth that we are brought into a fallen world and a fallen race, even Israel. So this sacrifice, when she gave her sacrifice, marked the end of her time of ceremonial impurity. And then the mother was regarded as clean. So it, it uh, in many ways, Leviticus chapter 12 is a beautiful message of grace, really. A reminder of the fallen state of our humanity. I think every Christian mother and father when bringing a son or a daughter into the world immediately are broken before the Lord to pray for that child's salvation. I know we did. We, we could hardly rest until at last the time came and our children made their public profession of faith and while we were overjoyed with the presence of, of a little baby and growing into a child and love on them and snuggle with them and do all those things that you do with them and look at their faces on Christmas morning still in the back of the mind it is there that this child needs Jesus this child needs to be saved this child is coming into a fallen race.
only to be delivered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Well, in, a, in an ancient way, this is much the same message, thus the difference between the male child and uh, the female child. Every birth, a sermon of our sin problem, which leads us to God's provision of, of salvation through a, a, an unblemished sacrifice. And the priesthood that would join the worshiper with God in the making of the sacrifice and making sure that it was done right so that the smoke that comes up in the case of some of those sacrifices, the smoke would ascend as a sweet-smelling savor. But, and also that, of course, in, in another case, that sin was attended to. Even, even in the birth of a child, sin offering, to understand that sin had to be atoned for. So it's a difficult chapter to study and to look at and uh, is an uncomfortable chapter to read and talk about. But when you expand it into the greater truth of what it means, it's really a beautiful thing. It is that God takes note, first of all, of every birth and that within the birth of a child into a fallen state, a sacrifice is needed and God provides the sacrifice. And so written into the story of, of uh, sin is the story, the truth of salvation. And in the case of Israel, that begins, and it should begin in our cases as well, the story of this child's need to understand its fallen state, its need for salvation, and the provision that God has made for salvation begins at the time this child is born. And so that's why those differences are seen. Okay, I'm going to stop there and we'll... What did I do? What about twins? Boy and girl. <laughs> well, I would expect that the first 33 would be marked off and the next, uh, the, the next 33 would be accounted. Now, obviously, they would, they'd stay together, in my opinion. No, I have to do two. They have to do two. Are you talking about like a boy and a girl? Is that what you said? A boy and a girl and twins? Yes. Yeah, sure. It's, it's still two individuals. You take, for example, although they were boys, Esau, you know, Jacob, they were, they each, they each had prophecies. They were separate, but they were individuals. Uh, and that's the way that it would work out in the law. Every child, male and female, the purification is, would be different for the, for the male, but the mother obviously would have to continue to stay with both children, uh, in, in my view, until, uh, you're a twisted man, you know that. <laughs> ah. Well, thank God for Jesus. We didn't have to do all that when our kids were born because we knew Jesus had taken care of everything for us. All right.
Let's be dismissed. Father God in heaven, we love you. We're so thankful of how you pay attention to us to the slightest detail and how you care for your own to make sure that we understand our fallen condition and our need for a savior. God, I pray that you'll bless us with, with this understanding and this knowledge and that you'll help us to use this to teach others of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.